0: I turn this evening to the scripture lesson for the sermon, which is, as we're continuing our study of what Presbyterians believe, we're still considering the the mediatorial office of Christ Jesus, and particularly tonight, concentrating on His office as prophet. So we read tonight from Deuteronomy 18, we'll read verses 15 through 22. At this point, we will note that what is predicted here is a prophet like Moses, who is to come, and we know that Christ Jesus is the one who fulfills this. He is one like and greater than Moses. So we read here, the word of God as was given to Moses, as recorded faithfully by the oversight of the Holy Spirit, and therefore being inspired by God, it is the inerrant Word of the Living God. Let's read now Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15-22. through 22. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord? If a thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. Let's seek his face now in prayer. Lord, we do praise and glorify you, and do ask now that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, that they might be acceptable in your sight this evening, that we would be edified by your word and be built up after the image of Christ, glorifying you in all things, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are many implications to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We read about it in various scriptures, but as we read in Romans chapter 1, we see that the Apostle Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ vindicates Him shows that he is exactly who he claimed to be. As we read the first four verses of Romans, we see that Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So there Paul is saying that we know that in his human nature, Jesus is the Son of David, he's a descendant of David, but he also is God in the flesh, and his resurrection vindicates him, shows uh, his victory over death, but also it shows that He, in fact, is exactly who He claimed to be. He is the Lord of life and death. It shows us that His sacrifice was accepted by the Father. But uh, equally important to those facts that He has victory over sin and death, that He's the Lord over life and death, It vindicates him and proves that he was telling the truth about God even when he claimed to be God. And the resurrection, therefore, vindicates, it confirms, Jesus in his office as prophet, among the many other things that the resurrection confirms. In Deuteronomy 18, we read this evening, that the Lord promises to raise up another prophet like Moses. Again, let me read a few verses of that. The, the Lord your God, Moses says, will raise up for you a prophet like me from, the, from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. So from out of Israel there will be another prophet who sees the Lord face to face like Moses. We're told according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of The assembly saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore lest I die. They didn't want to be exposed to the direct glory of the holy God. We're told here, and the Lord said to me, Moses says, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Of course, every true prophet speaks everything that God has commanded him. But there was none like Moses who saw the Lord face to face until the Lord himself came to speak to Israel in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a topic for another sermon to demonstrate from Scripture how all of these things are fulfilled in Christ. But for our purpose tonight, we need to take notice that Deuteronomy 18:22 also tells us when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord if the thing does not come to, does not happen or come to pass that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken the prophet has spoken it presumptuously you shall not be afraid of him related to that is Deuteronomy 13 in which God warns that uh, he at times will test Israel by allowing false prophets to have certain apparent signs and wonders, miracles, or or foreknowledge of the future, but they will tell the people to go after other gods. So Such a prophet, the Lord says, is to be rejected. When the Lord speaks through a prophet, he's going to confirm that prophet, and he's going to confirm that prophet, therefore, in two ways. What we see between Deuteronomy 18 and 13, uh, with miracles, he's going to to, to confirm that prophet with some kind of miracle, either that the prophet will predict a future event that will come to pass within a reasonable amount of time to test what the prophet has said, or his authority to speak for God will be demonstrated by supernatural power. Uh, think of Moses, you know, the Red Sea parts, the plagues come upon uh, Israel before that, the, the, the we see other prophets, including Jesus, the death here, the dead rise. So that's one way that God shows that he is confirming the prophet that he's speaking through, is with miracles, and of course Jesus was thus confirmed. And secondly, with a singular focus on the Lord, not teaching people to go after other gods. When there is a focus on the Lord as the true God, then we know that that Prophet is also not a false prophet whereby we're being tested. So the first thing is they have to have miracles to prove that they're speaking for God. And then secondly, they can't teach us anything that's contrary to the nature of God as we know Him. Mark 16.20 tells us the apostles were confirmed in what they preached. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working in them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. If a prophet declares a new message from God and his predictions don't come true or his message is not accompanied by miracles, we are not to listen. And a prophet only has to be wrong once to be proved to be a false prophet. That doesn't mean he can't be wrong in his personal judgments. But when he says, thus says the Lord... He's speaking for God, and he's wrong about that. Well, that makes him a false prophet. He's spoken, as the Lord says in Deuteronomy eighteen, presumptuously. He is presumed to put words in God's mouth, so to speak, rather than have God's word put in his mouth. Well, we of course have the written word of God, uh, the scriptures which were confirmed by miracles. The writers of Those scriptures were confirmed by miracles. So uh, every scripture we have in the Bible is either uh, comes from a writer who was confirmed by miracles or is confirmed by other scriptures that were confirmed by miracles or is confirmed uh, or is endorsed by someone who was confirmed by miracles. So, for example, the New Testament. Everything in the New Testament is either written or endorsed by apostles. If I preach to you from the word of God. Listen. If I preach something new, well, I had better be able to raise somebody from the dead or something like that. I had better be able to prove that God is confirming the message. Of course, we don't have, need those extraordinary signs today because the canon is complete. We don't need anything added to the Bible until Jesus returns. So as long as this world lasts, we have the confirmed word of God. That's why Peter says that it is the prophetic word made more sure when he talks about Scripture. But even then, even if I had an apparent miracle, well, you have to test the message. See if it's consistent with the God that we know from Scripture or am I preaching another God? But at the least, if someone declares a new thing from God, there there have to be miracles to confirm it so that we'll have some reason to believe. We're never asked in the Bible to have a blind faith. Just believe what I tell you. Hope that this is true, right? But rather, we're commanded to have an informed faith. To have a faith that is informed by what God has told us. A faith that we see... Uh, the rests upon what God has told us. A lot of faith like Abraham's. If God says something, it's true. But we're not just believing everybody who says, God told me X, Y, or Z. Well, if God told you that, you'd better be able to perform a miracle so that I can uh, know that it came from God. And then, secondly, you'd better be preaching the God that we know from Scripture. Miracles inform us to take note of what someone is saying. If Moses parts the Red Sea... We might want to take him seriously as God's spokesman. Moreover, uh, there are certain things that only God can do. You know, Satan uh, can counterfeit some of God's miracles. Look at what happens with the magicians in Egypt when Moses begins to, uh, to, uh, by God's power, pronounce plagues upon. Israel and God is bringing these uh, excuse me, upon Egypt and God is bringing these plagues upon Egypt we find that the first couple of plagues uh, well, the Egyptian magicians can imitate that either through their sleight of hand or through demonic power they can imitate it they can make more water turn to blood, apparently they can make more frogs come out of the Nile But then God tells Moses, strike the dust with your staff and it will become lice. There, non-life becomes life. Something that is not alive becomes alive. Only God can do that. And so the magicians of Egypt say, this is the finger of God. We can't do this. If Lazarus is dead for four days, he's unmistakably dead. Only God can give life to non-living things. So resurrection, true resurrection, confirms God is at work. If Lazarus is dead for four days, and then Jesus raises him, well, that's God's power at work. And if Jesus, in so doing, says that he personally is the resurrection and the life, that he's the source of all being, that's another way of simply saying, I am that I am, God is confirming Jesus is telling the truth about him. In John 5, Jesus points to his miracles as testifying to who he actually is. Verses 19-21, through we're told, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. He's really talking more about his human nature here. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son will give life to whom he will. So in other words... Jesus particularly his resurrecting power but all of his miraculous power shows that he is telling the truth about God and being confirmed by God particularly even that he is God by his very nature. In Romans 10:9, Paul says if you confess with your mouth as we considered this morning that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Paul is building on the fact that he has reported in Romans 1.4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in his power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. In other words, we can trust Jesus is the Savior, Son of God, because he rose from the dead. So that's why we particularly have to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Because that confirms who he is. In John ten seventeen, Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. So he predicted and he accomplished his own resurrection. In John two nineteen, he says, destroy this temple in three days, and in three days I will raise it up. So destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And then John tells us he was speaking about the temple of his body. The fact that he predicted and accomplished his resurrection proves that that he's speaking the truth about God, including that he is God. But it also then, therefore, means that he is a true prophet. In fact, he's the greatest of all prophets. This is part of the blasphemy of the false religion of Islam, that they would claim that another prophet has come along after Jesus who is greater than him. Who in the world could be greater than God incarnate? And of course, they have to deny that Jesus is God himself. In Luke 20 verses 41 through 44 Jesus points out that the predicted son of David would be David's Lord. Asking about Psalm 110 verse 1. He says, of course, how is it that they say that that the Christ will be a son of David? Well, of course, because Dozens of scriptures tell us that the Christ has to be a son of David. but then he's, he, So he's not contradicting scripture, but he's saying, well, how then is it that David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. How can it be that the son of David is also David's Lord? Well, only if the son of David is God himself. In John seventeen five, he prays, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before you, before the world existed. So if Jesus is a confirmed prophet, and he also is claiming to be God, and that is confirmed by God through the miracles, then that means that Jesus is God's ultimate spokesman. He is God himself come to speak for himself. That's one reason why he's called the Word in the Gospel according to John. He's God's own expression of himself to us. John 1 verses 17 through 18 tell us that law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. That is, no one's seen God in his divine essence. The only Son who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Some manuscripts say the only God who is at the Father's side made him known. So here you've got God the Son who's at the side of God the Father. Because he is the word incarnate, God in human flesh, Jesus is the greatest of all prophets. In Acts chapter 3, Peter demonstrates that uh, Jesus is the prophet like Moses who was promised in Deuteronomy 18. Jesus predicted and confirmed himself as the true prophet. Peter says of Jesus in Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 22, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, Peter says, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which... God made with our fathers saying to Abraham and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed to you first God having raised up his servant Jesus sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities Jesus is the prophet like Moses remember by the way when Jesus asked his disciples who do people say that I am some of them thought he was Elijah some of them thought he was one of the other prophets come back some uh, some thought he was the prophet, and that's referring to the one, like Moses, who would come. And in so far they were, as they understood that, they were correct. As Jesus asked, "But who do you say that I am?" So even more than being that prophet, he is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, as Peter confessed. But nevertheless, he is the greatest of prophets. Lately we've been studying what the Westminster Standards tell us Presbyterians believe. All who are in the the Presbyterian tradition have embraced or have the Westminster Standards as a confessional document. Here's what the Westminster Catechisms say in summary of the Bible teaching on this topic. The Shorter Catechism says, Christ executeth the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. The larger catechism says a little more. It says, Christ executeth the office of a prophet in his revealing to the church in all ages by his spirit and word in diverse ways and of administration the whole will of God in all things concerning their edification and salvation. By the way, one of the things that that tells us, rightly from Scripture, is that when we have our red letter additions to the Bible. Well, if if we want to be technically correct, every letter in the Bible should be read. The whole Bible is Jesus' word. It's not as if certain parts of it are more valuable than others. The whole thing is Jesus' word, the word of Christ to his people. Yes, certain things are direct quotes from him during his earthly ministry or when he revealed himself thereafter, whether it's to, to Paul or to John in the book of Revelation and dictates a couple of letters or seven letters actually two chapters of Revelation uh, to uh, to John but the whole Bible is Christ's word the letter to the Hebrews begins long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son God speaks to us by his son so that makes God's son, the greatest of prophets, whom he appointed, Hebrews says, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So here we have the creator of the universe come to us speaking for himself. There's no greater prophet than that. Jesus Christ, the son of God, is confirmed as the ultimate prophet of God, particularly by his resurrection from the dead. You can trust him. So do it. Trust Him. If you have saving faith, you already trust Him. But but you can also grow in your trust. You now We believe, but our unbelief needs <clears throat> to be helped. Like the man who brought his son to be freed of demonic possession by Jesus. It says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Trust him and grow in that trust. You can believe him. You can believe any promise he has ever made. When he says, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Sometimes that's hard for us to believe when we're in the midst of trials in this world. But you know what? He is with you even to the end of the age. And you can believe him. He speaks God's word directly to you. In fact, he is God himself who has spoken God's Word to us. Any promise He has made that we find in Scripture is a faithful promise. As Paul tells Timothy, even if we are faithless, He is faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. You can rest in Jesus Christ. Believe what He says. Rest in Him. Trust in Him. For He is the greatest of all prophets let's pray almighty and gracious God we thank you that in this age, this last age of the world, you have sent your son you've spoken to us by him by whom and for whom all things have been created we rejoice that his resurrection confirms that we can trust him and rest in him knowing that he has promised Never to let us go or forsake us. That he is with us even to the end of the age. Teach us to live in that trust. For we pray in the name of our prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.